What I would like to talk about this evening is the power of our beliefs. And I'd like to begin, if I may, by telling you a story. And this is the story of the golden eagle. A man once found an eagle's egg, and wanting to save it, he put it in the nest of a backyard hen. The eaglet hatched with the brood of chicks and grew up with them. All his life, the eagle did what the backyard chickens did, thinking that he too was a backyard chicken. He scratched the earth for worms and insects. He clucked and cackled, and he would thrash his wings and fly a few feet into the air. Years passed and the eagle grew very old. One day he saw a magnificent bird far above him in the cloudless sky. It glided in graceful majesty among the powerful wind currents with scarcely a beat of its strong golden wings. The old eagle looked up in awe. Who's that, he asked. That's the eagle, the king of the birds, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth. We're chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, for that's what he believed he was. <laughs> so you might be feeling a little happier if that story <laughs> had a happier ending. <laughs> Unfortunately, the power of our beliefs is that it rarely, they rarely do bring us happy endings. The beliefs that we carry about the world and about ourselves are often really not very visible to us. Probably we don't tend to go through our lives proclaiming to other people or even proclaiming to ourselves our most deeply held beliefs about who we are. We probably don't go through life saying, hey, did you know that I'm inadequate? Did you know that I'm fearful? Did you know I'm very powerful? Did you know I'm depressive? Rarely do we make or articulate our beliefs outwardly Rarely do we articulate them inwardly. Instead, we tend to live our beliefs. And our beliefs that we live define the way in which we experience the world and the way in which we experience ourselves. Don't feel we can ever underestimate the power of our beliefs and the way that they do shape our life experience. It's really not so very long ago that everyone consented to believe that the world was flat. People didn't go very far. They were afraid of falling off the edge. It's not that long ago. Men and women grow up inheriting entire belief systems about who they're supposed to be, 
whether they're supposed to be a warrior and a protector, whether they're supposed to be a nurturer and a Madonna. We all have our little adopted belief systems that we've absorbed from other people. It's not very long ago, in fact, we might think that it still exists, that human beings really took it for granted, that their place in this whole kind of world order was to dominate, was to have dominion, was to have power over, was to be able to use the world and everything in it to support their desires and their gratification. Sometimes we scoff or kind of see the ridiculousness of many of these belief systems that we've outgrown. The ones that we carry with us, we tend not to think are very ridiculous at all. Instead, we tend to think are very valid. The choices that we make or turn away from in our lives, what is that movement based upon? The directions that we choose or the things that we fear to choose. What are those choices made upon? The goals that we aspire to. The fantasies that we hold. The dreams and the aspirations. What are they based upon? So often all of those things are a visible illustration of the beliefs that we carry inwardly. The identities are the roles that we find ourselves adopting in our lives, whether we feel prepared to take risks, or whether instead we find ourselves always opting for what feels the safest and the easiest. The freedom that we experience in our lives, or the lack of it, all of this, is so much an expression of what we believe to be true, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world. Many of our beliefs have a very long history. Most of our beliefs have a very long history. They tend to be rooted in the past experience of our lives. Our beliefs are rooted or have grown from partially from the expectations and the feedback that we've absorbed from other people. We've grown up in our lives and we've been applauded and affirmed, whether we've grown up in our lives and been rejected and alienated. To make some contribution, certainly, to we, who we believe ourselves to be. Our beliefs are rooted also in the values and the standards that we have absorbed from others, what is worthy of pursuit, what is worthy of avoiding, what is good, bad, right, wrong, pleasant, unpleasant, all those values and all those standards we've been exposed to in our lives. Through them we build up, they contribute to us building up a world picture and an inner picture too. Our beliefs too are also born of our own life experience. They're born of our failures and disappointments. 
and our beliefs about ourselves are also born of our successes. Our beliefs are born of our experience of pain and of fear and of alienation. And the vast majority of our beliefs are essentially then an end product of our conditioning. A conditioning which in time leads us to define the world and ourselves in very definite and often in very limited ways. And every belief, of course, that we carry about ourselves influences our relationship to the world. Every belief we carry inwardly influences our perceptions, the way we relate to other people and the way in which we live our lives. If we believe ourselves to be powerless, then the world feels to be a very frightening and a very brutal place to live in. If we believe ourselves to be inadequate, we find ourselves living with mistrust. And so often life appears to be a kind of endless process of difficult decisions and insurmountable obstacles. If we carry within ourselves a belief in an inflated sense of power, an inflated sense of self, then the world for us becomes a landscape in which to prove ourselves and in which to exert our own power. It's not really accurate to say that we have or that we possess belief. It is unfortunately far more true to say that our beliefs have and possess us. If you repeat anything often enough, it becomes a truth. If you dwell upon something long enough, it becomes a truth and a reality for us. When that happens, we don't always recognize our beliefs as beliefs, something that is a way of seeing that is being constructed and accumulated. Instead, our beliefs are taken for granted as being the truth. We assume that they are truth. And unfortunately, when we look at any belief we do carry, it becomes very clear that beliefs describe our own sense of limitation rather than any sense of vision or possibility. Our beliefs are often based upon fear and upon memories of pain. And so there is the fear of repeating pain in the present or in the future. And so we live often by unconscious or unspoken guidelines which tell us how to avoid the unpleasant or the potentially painful in our lives. This is a course a life of limitation. It is not a life which expresses a trust, a deeply held inner trust in our own potential. When our beliefs are based upon limitation or a sense of limitation, 
those very beliefs that we carry about ourselves do become a source of pain. We try to use belief systems to protect ourselves from pain, but they do bring us pain. Just like if we believe ourselves to be powerless, and then we try to avoid people or situations which we regard as being threatening. In that very moment of avoidance, we are, of course, already overpowered. We are, of course, already cultivating or bringing about the very experience we wish to avoid. If we believe ourselves to be a failure, the mind in that very belief system will highlight and isolate every single judgment, every single moment when we don't live up to our own expectations. And failure then becomes our reality because those expectations are so often very unrealistic. In meditation, what we do is express a certain trust. We have a sense, or come to have a sense, of how very limiting our beliefs are. And I believe we also come to have a sense that we don't actually need to subscribe to any of this mythology, that we don't actually need to subscribe to be identified with any of these fictions, any of these stories that we have created about who we are. We come to see that our beliefs do lead us to live in an unconscious way and that it is unsatisfactory. That to live through the veils or through the eyes of a belief system is not to live in the spirit of freedom because our belief systems will always encourage us and inspire us to seek for the boundaries in our lives and to stay within the boundaries in our lives rather than to reach for horizons in any way. And so we find ourselves endlessly frustrated. We have the capacity, because we have the capacity to be aware, we have the capacity to leave behind us all the mythology that we carry because that doesn't serve us well. It doesn't enhance our lives in any way. And our belief systems are a burden that we can put down. Iris Murdoch once said that the freedom from fantasy is the beginning of human liberation. This is so true for us that to be really free to live in the spirit of freedom is a renunciation of fantasy and fiction and mythology that we need to be able to put down. The path of meditation is the path of being awake. It is a path really where we are encouraged and often have no choice but really to explore the depths of our own consciousness. And we don't do this in order to polish our personal histories. We don't do this exploration in order to be able to construct a more refined and admirable sense of I. 
Rather, this inner exploration is inspired by a certain passion to be a free and an awake human being, which really means to be beyond limitation. Letting go of our beliefs in limitation is really one of the primary challenges that we face in this path, because we see ourselves encountering those beliefs again and again. And sometimes we, we have all kinds of strategies about our beliefs. We try to overcome them, we try to ignore them, we try to suppress them, we try to pretend they're not there. But I think after a while it becomes clear to us that actually being free, being free of limitation is really not dependent upon being perfect. But they are not the same thing. That freedom is not dependent upon becoming perfect. That even to live without limitation is not dependent upon, in any way, upon analyzing the past or upon untying the knots of our own conditioning. It's not to say that it's irrelevant to know our demons. We all need to know our demons. It's not to say that it's irrelevant to know and understand the way our belief systems operate and our sense of limitations operate. It is relevant, because in a way, to know our demons is to disempower them, is to take the authority and the power away from them. And knowing our demons, our own inner demons, really in meditation is a way of learning to befriend them, so that they cease, actually, to really hold any power over us. But we come to see in this practice that actually it is not struggle and analyzing and refining and untangling that brings freedom, but really that we see that actually the conscious, our own consciousness is transformed by understanding, by insight. That it is actually understanding which really transforms the consciousness. And that the beliefs we carry they are not dissolved through, an, through analysis or dissecting them or, or controlling them. The beliefs that we carry are essentially dissolved by the very light of awareness and understanding. We'd like just to look at the very primary belief that most of us have found ourselves carrying and being haunted by in our lives. And certainly it is helpful for all of us, I feel, in a retreat to partake of the invitation to look at your own belief systems. They're not hard to find about yourself. It doesn't matter about meditation or religion or philosophy, but you believe any belief systems you might carry about yourself. The, the words that follow the statement, I am. They're your beliefs. It is helpful, actually, to look at those. How much you might believe in them. How real you believe them to be. How true you think they are. And you probably might have a whole, find yourself having a whole vocabulary of words to follow the statement, I am. But when you look at those in that vocabulary a little bit more closely, it becomes easy to see, actually, 
that many of those adverbs and those descriptions that we use are kind of offshoots of one very primary belief system. And that is the belief that we carry about imperfection, about incompleteness, about limitation, about a lack of freedom. There's a weed that grows in the garden here called ground elder. And sometimes you don't see it. It has very deep roots. But if you turn away from it for a few days or a week, you find that it springs up everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all over. And it consumes every other plant. It overshadows them. It blocks their light. It takes their energy. And essentially it destroys them. This belief in our lack of freedom, belief in imperfection, very much like that root. It has so many offshoots and it serves really to shadow the freedom that is possible for us to experience in our lives. This belief in a lack of freedom, belief in imperfection, belief in incompleteness, is one that most of us adopt very early in our lives. And our whole life experience tends to reinforce this belief that we are indeed not free, that we are very incomplete and most imperfect. Most everything that we encounter in our lives would tell us that this is probably true. The very early messages that we receive in our lives, in our life experience, tells us that freedom, that perfection, that happiness even, is dependent upon factors outside of ourselves. Factors that we cannot control, although we are encouraged to try and control them. We hear and absorb the message early in our lives that to be happy, to find freedom, you're not going to do it alone. You're not going to find this within yourself. Instead, you are going to find happiness, perfection, completion, freedom through merging yourself, through joining yourself, through unifying yourself with things, with people, with forces that exist outside of yourself, apart from yourself. Often we absorb the message that actually happiness and freedom is dependent upon our ability to grasp hold of things take hold of things and identify with things. We are told that to be alone is to have something missing. There's something that incomplete in that experience. Somehow you didn't make it. You weren't wanted, you weren't good enough. But to be alone, there's something very suspicious, not to trust about that experience. And we should try, as much as we can, to be successful in merging ourselves with someone or something else. So we do a lot of this in our lives. We spend a lot of energy trying to do this, or to gain this kind of success. We find ourselves adopting very approved and sanctioned roles and identities. We find ourselves at times measuring our success and ourselves by our capacity to gain objects, to gain things, to gain comfort, to gain security. This is the message 
of our media, of our culture, of our models. Reach outside of yourself because you just don't have it. Reach for something else. Look for something other. Reach for something apart. You need it. This is the message we hear throughout our lives. You need to do this. And so we do it. Over and over and over again, looking for otherness, looking for attainment. This myth and this belief can govern our lives and can direct our lives. It can lead us to even fear being alone, or when we are alone, constantly comparing ourselves with others. You may have noticed that how much this arises here. What is it? that so desperately leads us to search the corners of our lives for approval, for sanctuary, and for safety? What is it that so often, so repeatedly in our lives, drives us in a relentless pursuit of attainment, of gain, of possession? We believe we need to do this. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. It's not fun. No one can describe this whole pursuit as fun. It's painful. We believe that we need to do it. This belief in need, this belief in the need for something other, is one that we respond to in very different ways. Sometimes it feels an insurmountable task to find what we need, to gain what we need, to succeed in all these things. Sometimes we don't believe we have the power, the inner power, to gain and achieve success. Sometimes we don't believe that we have the inner power and the inner authority to really bring about radical changes in ourselves. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our own capacity. We doubt our worth. And at times we doubt our value. This is a belief in powerlessness. It is a belief which makes us paralyzed. It's a belief which means that often we will attempt very few changes in our lives or really take very few risks because we are already convinced that we will fail. Sometimes when we resign, perhaps resign ourselves to limitation. This happens often to people in meditation, you know. They struggle and they struggle and they struggle and they do all the right things and follow all the right prescriptions and do everything right. Somehow they just don't get what they want. They think, well, it's not, I can't do it. This is something beyond me. I'm not good enough. Everybody else is good enough. I'm not good enough. And sit in the meditation room and that belief you experience in your thoughts. You know, you feel like you're sitting in the meditation with 28 Buddhas and one nerd. <laughs> Thousands of years people have done this. But not me. It makes us very frustrated and at times it makes us very angry. The degree of powerlessness we believe in is the degree, of course, in which we give power away to others. If we believe we are powerless to bring about change, to find freedom, to 
discover the end of, end of limitation. We live in a way in which we are extraordinarily vulnerable in the world, where we get overwhelmed by the demands and the expectations of others, where we find ourselves unconsciously being the most agreeable person in the world, saying yes, when we know we need to say no. Or we find ourselves becoming very passive, feeling that we very have very few choices or very few options. And we start using words a lot like fate and luck and karma to describe the disappointments that we encounter in our lives. And instead of really having any inner trust, any inner direction, we wait for circumstances in our lives to make choices for us and to determine our direction. This sense of powerlessness this lack of inner value, this lack of inner trust, is one of the primary expressions of really believing in limitation to be truth, believing in limitation to be reality. Dependency is another visible expression of the belief in imperfection and the belief in limitation. When we live with uncertainty and doubt within ourselves, it seems very natural for us to look elsewhere for the things we feel to be lacking. So we find ourselves looking to relationships, looking to uh, people, looking to systems, looking to authorities, looking to models to provide us with the qualities we feel we don't have. Power, assurance, sanctuary, authority. The most visible expression a belief in limitation, of course, is grasping, is identification, is holding. It's obvious to us that grasping is the single most divisive force in the world, whether we are grasping onto other people, whether we are taking hold of opinions, whether we are taking hold of systems or, or ideas. Because the companion to grasping is for us fear and separation. Grasping divides one person from another. Wars are fought on the basis of grasping, just as one person is alienated from the heart of another because of the power of grasping. And grasping is a force and an actuality that leaves us narrow, contracted and fearful. Is there question we need to ask ourselves. Is there another way of responding to beliefs in limitation, beliefs in imperfection, other than ignoring them, suppressing them, or grasping hold of something else? Can we live in a way when we are not constantly reaching towards promises? Can we live in a way where we're not constantly reaching for something outside of ourselves or reaching for the next moment or looking for something other that is going to provide us with happiness, with answers, with solutions, with freedom? Can we live in a way where we're not endlessly grasping hold of things in order, as a way of camouflaging a kind of vacuum of emptiness that we feel exists inwardly. 
Can we live in a way where we're not just a reaction to our own conditioning or the conditioning of other people, but where we really live very wholeheartedly in the spirit of freedom? We see that our beliefs have a long history. It doesn't mean that they have a long future. Our beliefs that we have so carefully or unconsciously constructed to our lives, they, are not, they don't require of us that we gradually work them out, analyze them, or transcend them. At what point does the power of our beliefs actually end? If you look at a belief, and just look at that most visible expression of a belief in the sense of I am, fill in the blank, that belief has only the power that we give to it. Apart from the power that we give to that statement, it is only words, it is only thoughts, it is only feelings, it is only memory. How do we give power to that statement? We give power to it through dwelling upon it, through subscribing to it, through resisting it, through holding on to it, and to the energy of fear. This is how we give power to any one of those statements. And when do we do it? It is clear the only, mo the only time that a belief has any power whatsoever is in the moment that it arises. And the only reason that we give power to these statements is because we are not really conscious of them. In meditation, our challenge is not to work out the past or to ensure the future. Our challenge really in this practice is simply to be awake, to be present in this moment with a profound sense of freshness and openness, learning to open our eyes and our hearts to each moment that we are connected with. We are learning to see without the filters of our conditioning, without the veils of our judgments and our prejudices, all of which are simply a recycling of the past. Really what meditation is, is discovering a kind of renewal of consciousness, a renewal of consciousness on a moment-to-moment -moment level. It's not complicated to do this. We don't need any complicated or esoteric means to do this. We just need to pay attention. We just need really to give attention. We just really need to learn how to be sensitive to one moment at a time. You don't need to be an expert to have an open heart, to have open eyes. We just need a certain willingness, a certain inspiration. Discovering what it means to be present is a challenge because we see actually that the voices of the past are really very far away from us. We hear those voices all the time. We hear the voices of the past in our avoidance, in our judgments, in our likes and our dislikes. All of this is simply the voices of the past making their appearance in the present. So we find that if you continue with great patience, again and again to attune yourself to the present moment, just as it is, that those voices from the past do become quieter and quieter. They don't necessarily disappear. 
But instead you find within yourself a greater calmness, a greater spaciousness, a greater openness, and also a greater fearlessness. It is not that we necessarily have new thoughts, new exciting images, new exciting memories. We don't necessarily have new anything. We have the same old thoughts, same old memories, same old images. But something has changed. Something begins to change. And it is our relationship to them that begins to change. Consider your own experience. You can sit in meditation and you can have a thought. And it's usually often a thought about yourself. Most thoughts in meditation are about ourselves. We think, this is terrible. Yeah, I'm really doing badly. I knew this would happen. I expected it. A lot of things in my life have been like that. I tried and I failed. My mother was like this. My grandmother was probably like this too. And I expect it would probably always continue. It's a very powerful thought. It can be a very powerful experience. We can sink into total depression, resignation, self-judgment. We can have another sitting. We can have the same thoughts, and they have no power whatsoever. Do you notice that? How often you have the same thoughts? You know, there's not that many new ones. You often have a lot of the same thoughts. Sometimes they're incredibly powerful. Sometimes they're just as bland as anything. They just sit there. What has changed? It's clearly not the thoughts, patterns have changed, or the images have changed. The relationship has changed, and the relationship has changed because the consciousness has changed. It is because those very same thoughts, instead of arising into fear and resistance and holding and contraction, those thoughts are arising into spaciousness and calmness and non-resistance. And that spaciousness and calmness and non-resistance is something you've nourished. You've nourished it with your attentiveness. You've nourished it with your willingness to be present. You've nourished it with your energy. And you could ask, does that really need to be random? Does it really need to be random? That one moment I'm all excited and agitated and irritable, the next moment I'm calm. Of course it doesn't need to be random. There can be an abiding calmness, an abiding open-heartedness, an abiding spaciousness. It is what we do here. It is what we're here for. Beliefs arise in consciousness and they spill over into our lives. The power that they have is in relationship to the quality of consciousness in which they arise. And this is the most important thing for us to see. Letting go of beliefs is not a a product of effort and struggle and, and work. Letting go of beliefs is an organic happening in awareness. It's an organic expression of spaciousness. Awareness actually has the effect of neutralizing the power of conditioning. 
doesn't get rid of it, doesn't erase it, doesn't replace it with something new. Awareness has the power of neutralizing the power of conditioning. Because I do not believe I am. What we believe ourselves to be, we become. And the great spaciousness of awareness, I do not believe I am. That leaves us with immense possibilities. That leaves us with an incredible amount of openness. All we are asked to do in meditation, all we need to do, all that we can do, is simply to cultivate this willingness to be present. It's so simple. It is so fundamental. And it is so powerful. It has the capacity to bring about such powerful transformation. We see our beliefs arising. There are a lot of them are just a habit. Our beliefs are the habit of limitation. Letting go is the spirit of freedom. We need to discover really where we want to be. When we see those statements arising of I am, it would not be a bad idea to ask ourselves, do I really want to be here? Do I really need to be here? Is there some other possibility in this moment than being contrasted around some notion or some fiction or some myth that we've carried throughout our lives? These questions are important for us to ask. The message and the teaching most great teachers and great traditions is not a message of reaching for something apart from ourselves or from where we are. It's not a message of arriving at some other destination. It's not a message of having to gain this out of the other in order to be free, in order to know the end of limitation. It's a message of opening our eyes to right where we are and right where we're experiencing what we're experiencing so that we no longer mistake the unreal to be real. And in letting go of the conditioned, there is the possibility of awakening to the unconditioned. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see clearly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.